Tonight we're going to be diving into the second part in our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So right off the top, I want to tell you guys a story about a father and a daughter. Like this daughter had this favorite toy and it was this porcelain doll. And I mean, she loved this porcelain doll, which I mean like a little bit odd. Like that's like, let's just leave that aside. She loved this porcelain doll. Like she would hug it, she would kiss it, she would cuddle it. Like she would remind it how much she loved it. Like this was her prize and joy. And every night before bed, her father would take that doll and put it high up on a shelf while his daughter was sleeping. And then one day they're having a pillow fight together and like they're going from room to room and then they end up in the room where the porcelain doll is. Like I think we all know where this, where this story is going. And so they're like, they're, things are getting heated. They're like going at each other. And then eventually the, like somehow the, da- the daughter gets behind the father's defenses and like gets him with like a sweet uppercut right to the jaw. And dad's like, okay, you're five. I'm going to wreck you. Like that's, like, that's it, you're done. So he like winds up, he's like gonna send her into the middle of next week. And then as he does so, like tip of the pillow hits the doll and it like starts to teeter. And it's like, it's going, you know it, it's going in slow motion, they're both watching it. And then it falls and like shatters into a million pieces. Daughter's staying there, she's like, okay, like, dad, you killed my doll. Like, come on. Like, okay, and daughter's like, dad's like, okay, sorry, sweetie. Like, I'm sorry I did that. Like, picks up the pieces. He's like, I'll buy you a new one. She was like, no, dad, I want that one. And she's like, okay, nice. Okay, so he pulls all the pieces together, goes to his office and starts gluing it together. Only problem is he has no idea what he's doing. So like that doll ends up just a very deformed version of the same doll when he presents it to her. He's like, I'm sorry, sweetie. Like, I know it's not what you wanted. I'll buy you a new one. And she goes, no, dad, you didn't like, you didn't listen to me. I want that one. He's like, but sweetie, that one's broken. And then she like looks him right in the face and he says, just because she's broken doesn't mean I can't love her. And while this seems like a cheesy story, I think there's actually something similar to that about the story of Christianity. It's like, oh, sometimes we feel that we're too broken. Sometimes we feel like maybe we're too far gone or like it disqualifies us from relationship, from actually the love of Christ. But I think that's actually a message there. It's like, okay, maybe we've missed the love of Christ for each and every single one of us. And it's that message that I'm wanting to hit home tonight. So would you please turn with me to Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. That's going to be our text for tonight. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit toward the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And now this is a prayer from Paul that was like known as one of the most monumental prayers throughout scripture. Like it's known as one of the big dogs. But it's like, does it actually line up with our lived reality? Like, does, it, does it actually hit us the way that maybe Paul intended it to? Or do how we go through life, or does actually our brokenness maybe set up a wall like, where it's like it doesn't actually line up with our lived experience? Where it's actually that stops us from being able to receive the love that Christ has for us. 
And I think this is the problem right at the top, is that a lot, for a lot of us, we don't actually know the love of Christ. And I mean, how could we? Like when our experience of love that we go, about, that we go through life with on a day-to-day basis, like it's so far different from that. It's so, like our experience of love is so limited to begin with. Like maybe we had a dad who was supposed to love us, but left. Or a friend who says they love us, like they say that they're our friend, but then we hear that they talk bad about us behind our backs, or they gossip about us. Or it's like we think we've found the one, but then it just ends up in heartbreak. Like I think this ends up developing a profound sense of distrust of our belovedness. Where it's like we're going through life with a like, type of attachment that says, okay, I need to perform. I need to measure up. I need to do X, Y, and Z to actually live up to that person's expectations of me to then be worthy of love. Or it's like we're constantly worried and, and anxious. It's like, okay, what does that person actually think of me? Like it's like they say that we're friends, but it's like, okay, does that mean it, like, that they're all of a sudden going to change their mind like, and all out of the blue and then we're not going to be friends anymore? So we don't actually feel like we trust in the love of others. And we take that and we apply that love onto God. We're always worrying what God thinks of us. It's like, okay, what does, actually, what does God think of me? Like maybe if I commit a sin, then it's like, that's too big of a sin. Then he won't love me. Or we actually don't go through life experiencing his love because he feels like he's far off. Or it's like when we take that word love in the first place. Like, I feel like in our culture, we have such a shallow definition of the word love. Like, we use it similar to that of, like, it's an affection or an attraction towards, like, honestly, if we're, like, being completely honest, it's more of how we would define the word lust. Like, it's a crazy desire after something. Or it's so shallow. Like, let's, like, take a simple example, like, tacos. Like, I could say, I love tacos, But I could also say, I love hiking, or I love going to see this band, or I love my wife. I'm going to use the same word love for all of those things. And I think because we use the same word in such a massive breath, it actually ruins, it actually gets rid of the weight that that word love could and should have. Maybe the weight that Paul is wanting it to have towards us. Or maybe you're honestly, you're coming tonight and you're like, Matt, that's not my problem. I feel like I got a good definition of love and I feel like I've received love pretty well. But then on top of that, we live in a culture that is so focused on ourselves, where everything is turned in and we almost, we worship the self. And honestly, we're just so distracted. We're so distracted, like pulled in so many directions, trying to like figure ourselves out, trying to get everything right. So we don't actually have a chance to be able to focus on whose I am. This is like, I'm tr- God, I'm trying to make an identity for myself. I'll set you aside. I'll come back to you later. And see, I think the results of these things, we end up not really understanding or living out our faith. Where we live a little bit with like a minimum entry requirements for faith. Where it's like, okay, yeah, like I've said the prayer, like, God, I'm down with you. Like, that's it, right? I could just keep on going on living my life. But because of that, we never actually experience God, and we don't actually really know him in the first place. We don't actually have to grow in our discipleship. Or when someone asks us a question about our faith, where it's like, okay, why do you believe what you believe? Like, we don't actually have any answers, so we just end up regurgitating and saying something that was like a pastor said or a blogger or like someone on Instagram who feels like they have faith. We just end up saying what they said instead because we don't actually have that deep well of experience to go off of. 
Or it's like we have that one experience way back when we did that youth camp, but like that's the only thing we can pull from. So we just keep on pulling from that one over and over again because we don't actually experience, feel like we experience God in the day today. Maybe it's like we're going from Sunday to Sunday or like young adults to young adults. And it's like we barely climb up and have a faith by the time that we come back. Like it's like we're not actually experiencing God throughout the week and it's like, okay, I come and finally I have my hour with God and then I go home and just live like every single other person throughout the week. And I think a lot of this, this makes us feel like we're living with that profound sense of feeling unloved. Like I said, we're kind of insecure of who we are. So we feel like we're grasping at the love of others to give us our identity. Like we're, or we're so focused on just trying to make it in the world. It's like, okay, I'm like, I'm going to make a name for myself. I need to figure out my identity, get my job sorted, like just make it live the good life. And then because I was like, okay, like God, like I'm, I'm down with you and I'll, I'll give you my leftover time. Because we don't quite realize that actually right now we have the most amount of time that we could, like extra time that we could ever have in our life. Like, it doesn't actually get better. It actually gets worse. We actually get more busier out as we get older. So it's actually right now that we need to be working on this. And I think this, what all these things leads to is that we don't actually end up praying to God very much. Or we don't actually expect him to move or to care about us. Like, if we were to think of, like, what is your image of God? Like he wouldn't actually, that God wouldn't, marry, wouldn't merit that much contemplation or devotion or obedience in the first place. Like we have that image of God that's not really even worth thinking about, like let alone giving worship to. Or we have that image of God that's like, okay, he kind of cares about us, but like honestly, he's pretty far off. Like he's pretty distant and pretty disinterested. And on top of that, he's pretty weak. Like we're not really sure if he's actually going to show up and give me the strength to do what I feel like he's calling me to do. I think all these things just puts us in a place where we end up making God, like I end up making God in my own image instead. Like if God is agreeing with everything that I think he should, then I'm probably making God in my image versus being made in his. And all of these ends up like culminates in just like the reason that all these things are happening is that our version of God, our like image of God is way too small. Like, if all those things are lining up, you're like, Matt, that's hitting all the boxes, then it's probably that our version of God, like, how we actually picture and think about God, he's way too small. And it's here that our problem lies. It's this that needs to change. So would you take a look with me back at Ephesians 3? So as we come into Ephesians 3, we need to remember who Paul is talking to. Like, we're coming midway into a letter that's addressed to an Ephesian church. And like Dan talked about last time for chapters 1 and 2, we're now coming as like, okay, these are the people who are identified as those who are in Christ. Like, they're the new family of God. And it's all the, like, stragglers. And everyone, like, everyone in the room tonight, now we are included in the family of God, whereas before we wouldn't have been. It was everyone that was far away that was considered like Gentiles or not of the people of Israel and those who were sinful, those who were considered dead in their sins. And it's like now we are considered a part of the family. And Paul says at the beginning and in the middle of chapter three, he says, for this reason. He's like, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. Like, it's like we have to look back at what the reason was. So it's like, for this reason, he bows his knee. It's that everyone is now included in the family of God. Where it's like, like Romans 8 says, that it's like, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Like, that's the reason that Paul bows his knees. 
He's like, okay, now we're all included. Like, I need to just bow my knees and worship this God. Like, it's like he's so overwhelmed with how good God is, like the mercy that he has for each one of us. He's like, okay, the only response that I have is to bow down and worship. Where it's like, no matter where you're at, or like what you come with tonight, or like what has been done to you, or what you've done, like maybe you're new tonight, and you're like, honestly, I'm not even sure if I'm down with Jesus. Like, there's this actually, there's this space here where Paul's like, okay, yeah, no, you can be included. Or it's like, if you proclaim Jesus as Lord, like, you are included in the family of God, like, no matter where you are at. And it's this reason that Paul bows down and worships. And it's out of this place in worship where he says, I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit towards the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, first, Paul prays for power. And I think this is like, this is really crucial and significant. Like it's almost, it's something he weaves through his whole letter to the Ephesian church. Like he's like, okay, when the spirit comes, there is power. And I feel like that's almost a monumental thing that we need to acknowledge tonight, that we worship a God who's powerful. We worship a very powerful God who actually, who wants to pour out his power on us, wants to empower us to live a type of life that we would not be able to live on our own strength. And then Paul prays that we'd be strengthened towards the inner self. Now the inner self is Christ within us. So he's like, Paul is praying that the spirit would almost develop within us. So it's almost Christ starts dwelling there. And it's Christ within us that like actually starts dwelling and taking root there. That Paul prays that he would move into our hearts and actually take root there. And the heart, like we think heart as like emotions. Like that's what like comes to mind for us when we hear that word. But in the biblical idea, the heart was the will or the seat of like our decision making. So Paul's like, okay, I want your decisions to start looking like the decisions that Christ would make. I want your actually your motivational structure to start changing for you to actually be motivated towards something. It's like, yes, right action. That's really good. And that's totally fine. But it's like, I actually want something different. I want your like behind the scenes motivations to things that people don't see. I want that also to change. Where Paul says that the goal, says that Christ is both the goal of the Christian life and the place out of which Christians live their life. That power is, like that there's power for free, like for us to change, for us to become people who start looking like Jesus. Like if there's a sin pattern in your life, Paul, Paul is saying, okay, there's freedom from that. Like there's actually a spirit who's powerful, who wants to guide us and shape us and mold us to look like him. Where like Paul describes a believer's life uh, moving to ever increasing degrees of faithfulness and holiness as Christ dwells more and more in their hearts. Like it's like it's not a one-time thing. Like it's not like, okay, now I start following Jesus, now I have the spirit, now I don't need to do anything. It's like, no, actually there's an intentionality that we need to be constantly filled over and over again. That there's a, a direction of us moving towards looking more and more like Jesus. Like my wife and I, we, moved, we got married in the fall and we moved into our first place. And like at first it didn't feel at all like home. But like as we started to move things in, I just started to rearrange furniture and get things all, started up, all set up. Eventually it started to feel like it was our own. And as Christ moves into our hearts, I think there's a similar thing there. Where it's like as he moves in, he starts renovating our hearts to the point where it's like we actually start looking like him. That is like over time, there's like things, there's like little renos that happen here and there within us. So our motivations start changing. We actually start looking like him. We actually take on the motivations that Christ would have if he were us. 
Where it's like the idea that we could believe in Jesus without being or acting or looking anything like him would be the most absurd thing to Paul. Like it wouldn't quite compute. He'd be like, okay, that doesn't quite line up with how things are supposed to work. Like if Christ dwelling in us doesn't grow us towards Christ's likeness, towards looking like Christ, then we have to question if Christ is actually present in us. Which like maybe that's even a scary audit for us to be doing right now. Where it's like, okay, I don't want to do that self-inventory because I'm not sh- quite sure like, if, if he's actually there. But I think I'm more, more, instead of doubt, I'm wanting to promote faith. Where it's actually that place where it's once we step into that space of actually like, okay, God, I'm not seeing you showing up here. I'm needing you to move. That actually provokes him to move. It actually helps us move toward the direction of looking like him. And see, this is Paul's tension. Like he wants the people of God to be filled with his presence. Like that's the whole first part of the prayer. He's like, okay, I want the spirit to be poured on you. Like we need the spirit of God. And all like, there's a massive crescendo almost. Like he's like building up to this main one point and it is this. That like the most important thing that you and I could know in the universe is the love of Christ. Like it's like that's why we need the spirit. That's what all the power is for to begin with. Like, it's so that we can know the love of Christ. Like, Paul prays that we may be, humble, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, it is the love of Christ that everything hinges on. Like, it's like both our identity as Christ, like, that's the first half of Paul's letter, and then who we become in Christ. Like, everything is pulled into the center. It's like the massive mountain peak. It's like, that's it. The love of Christ. That's the center message for Paul. Everything revolves around that point. And that the power of love, of the love of Christ is most clearly seen on the cross. Like, if we were to say, okay, where does the love of Christ most clearly displayed? It's on the cross. Like it's almost like Christ on the cross, like in his body, is like pulling those two things together. Where it's like, okay, your identity in Christ, I'm going to pull that into myself. And who you become as becoming one like me, I'm going to pull that into myself. And it's in my body shed for you that I actually take on all the things. That it's like out of that place comes power. It's out of that place that comes the power. And then in him rising to new life, like there's the, that's the power of Jesus coming forward. It's like, okay, I'm wanting to make you like me, make you new. Where it's out of the cross comes the power to have our identity changed and our characters transformed. Where it's out of the cross that we experience the love of Christ in the most clearest form. And it's like we take that definition of, that we had before as it's like such a simplistic form of love. Then Paul, like Christ just redefines the whole thing. He actually, no, he gives it a new definition. Where he's like, okay, love looks like unconditional, selfless, passionate love. Looks like laying down one's life. And it's a love that has power to it. Like it doesn't just save us. It also sets us free. It also frees us from bondage. It also like makes available a new kind of life, like an eternal kind of life that is like, okay, I thought that was only for off in the future. No, that type of life can be present right now. And I think maybe there's some people here tonight just like, okay, I don't feel like I have any hope of like things changing for me, of me actually becoming different. And I feel like maybe there's something there where it's like, okay, I actually need to hear and receive that. No, there is a new life possible through the love of Christ. And see, that's the point that Paul is trying to make. 
where it's like the central theme that everything points to for him is the cross. Where he's like, get your eyes on the cross. Like, just try and comprehend it. Like, just try and like wrap your minds around it. Like, it doesn't quite make sense. Like, there's a reason he prays for the power of the spirit. It's actually, there's something that we miss if we don't have the spirit where we won't quite be able to comprehend the cross correctly. Like you actually need the spirit helping and aiding and giving us strength to be able to comprehend, to be able to understand and receive the love of Christ. Like if we don't, if we aren't empowered by the spirit, we won't quite get it. Like Paul says, what is the width and length and height and depth of this love? Like it's like if we are just to take those things, those are all directions. So it's like you just keep on going in all directions. That is how big the love of Christ is. Like, it's expansive beyond us actually being able to comprehend it. Like, it just keeps on going into eternity. Okay, that is the love of Christ for you. That is the love of Christ saying, okay, I've chosen you. You're my son and daughter. It's like, I love you. He's like, you need to get this. Like, it's like, if you don't get this, you're missing it. This is the love that Christ has for you. But I think sometimes, like, if we're just completely honest with how we go about our life with Jesus... Like, we don't really focus on that as much. Like, it's like, it's mostly, it's like, we have the big three things that we come to him with. It's like, okay, God, who am I going to marry? Where, gonna, where am I going to live? And what job am I going to have? And I'm just going to come to you over and over again with that. Which is like, those things are great. And he loves those things. But I think Paul here is saying, okay, those things, those things are secondary. It's like, I'm actually like, I'm wanting you to focus on Jesus. Focus on his cross, on the love of Christ first. And everything will filter down from that. Like, it's like once you get his love, once you actually understand, once you comprehend it, all of those other things slot into place. Like, you figure that out. You figure out, like, where you're supposed to be, who you're supposed to be. You receive your identity from him. When you actually have that thing, you don't need to make one. You receive it instead. I want to ask you, like, how do you experience Jesus? Like, maybe that's not even a question you've really thought about before, but I want to, like, ask right now. How do you experience Jesus? Like, if, you, if you're honest, do you experience him, like, as more, like, disappointed in you? Or aloof? Or he's, like, he's so distant, he's so off, he doesn't quite, he doesn't know what I'm going through. Like, it doesn't feel like he quite understands me. But if we're to look throughout all the writings of the New Testament, the central describing experience of Jesus is that of love. Like, it's like, as in First John, it says, God is love. No, not God is loving. No, God is love. Like, it's like we actually receive the definition of the word by the character of God. Like, it's like that should be our basis. Like, he's so encaptured and enraptured by love. Like, that's him. He is love. Like, it is this characteristic of God that God chooses to be known most by. And he is most himself. Like, he's the most God when he is characterized by love. And if we're to keep this thought going, we could say that God is most God in Christ on the cross. And it's like when we're asked, it's like, okay, what type of God do you worship? I worship a God who said it was worth it for me to die for the people I made. He said it was worth it to say, okay, I'm going to actually set you free. I'm going to take all the things that were supposed to be done to you and I'm going to have them done to myself. I'm going to pay the price that was supposed to be done to you because I'm like, I love you. And it's worth it. Because he wants relationship with us. 
And it's like everything in, within God is like can be seen coming out of the love of Christ on the cross. So it's like his purposes, his will, his inbreaking kingdom, his presence, like everything comes out of that space. Like it's like everything is seen and like defined and comes out of the love of Christ. Like it's like if it doesn't quite line up with the love of Christ, then it's probably not it. St. John of the Cross says this, that God refuses to be known except by love. And it's like when we draw God to mind, the first thing that should come into our mind is that of love. Like it's like all those other things, those are actually lies of the enemy that are trying to hinder our relationship with him. Like he wants and craves to be known by love. But it's more than just a love or like a thought of love in our heads. Like there's an experiential side of love that, of the love of Christ that Paul is really after here. Where he prays that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Which feels a little bit like an oxymoron. Like it's like, okay, how do we know something that surpasses knowledge? But I think Paul is actually using two different definitions here. Where it's like, okay, you have an experiential relational knowledge and then you have head knowledge. And it's the relational knowledge, that's the side that I'm wanting you to get. Like I'm wanting you to experience that type of relationship. David Benner says that if you experience God, if your experience of God is limited to your thoughts about him, then we have not genuinely encountered God. And if we confuse our thoughts about God with personal knowing of God, we confuse our theology with personal experience. Like basically what he is saying is like, okay, actually all, those, all the head knowledge, all like the theology that we could have, that could be great, but it's nothing if you don't experience his love. Like it's, it, doesn't, it almost doesn't count for anything. It's like, okay, we need, like, yes, knowledge is great, but no, I'm wanting you to experience and actually know the love that he has for you. Like again, to use my wife as an example, like before meeting her, I could have like figured out a bunch of facts about her. I could have asked friends how she was, like what she was like in past relationships. I could have like seen a picture of her on Instagram. But like that's one side of knowledge. Like I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't have actually experienced her love. I wouldn't actually have received it until I like like started dating her and then we got married. And but like now I actually experienced the love that she can show me, the love that I don't deserve. Like that's the type of experiential, experiential relational knowledge Paul's talking about. He's like, okay, I want you to experience this thing. Like it's like, okay, on the one hand, like I need you to do more than just know it in your heads. I want to actually show it to you. Like we have a God who like, who actually like he's gloriously rich. He wants to pour it out on us. Like, he's not holding it back. He's not stingy with his love. He just wants to lavish it on you and me. But it's like, as we go through our day-to-day lives, like, we have so many moments of relational breakdown. Like, whether it's with a friend or a family member. Like, any, there's so many moments where our relationships break down. And it's actually in those moments that I think we also have the opportunity to hear the love of Christ. Because it's in those moments where it's like, okay, it doesn't feel like it's actually going well for us. That it's actually in that moment, Christ comes in and is like, no, I love you. No, you're my beloved. Like that's his name for us, is that we are his beloved. Like you are a beloved son and daughter of the king. Like that's our identity. That's where our identity is grounded in. Because we are so, so loved by Jesus. And if I'm completely honest, this is probably one of the areas of my relationship with God that I struggle with the most. 
I guess like I love like reading the books, I love the theology, I love like thinking and doing all the things, but the actually the amount of it sinking down from like head to my heart, like that's the part that really is like really, really hard for me. Where it's like I'll, lo- like, I'll perform and do all the things because it's like, okay, I kind of like, if I do X, Y, and Z, then God will love me. I don't actually live from that place of like, okay, I am loved, now I can do X, Y, and Z. Like it's like the love comes first, the grace comes first, and after, like it's, the whole thing is encaptured by it. Like it's like, I need this message from Paul to be true. Like it's like, I'm not coming to you guys tonight being like, okay, yeah, I've got it figured out, like this is how you're supposed to do it. It's like, no, I actually need the spirit of God to be giving me power to live this way as well, to actually be able to receive the love of Christ. Because it's as we experience the love through the power of the spirit, it's from there that we then move to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And when we are rooted and, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, then we become people of love. I was driving around the other day in Vancouver and I saw on a cement post, there's some graffiti and it said, the meaning of life is love. And I think they, I think they, got, I think they got it, which is surprising for Vancouver. Didn't quite think they would get it with graffiti, but they got it. It's like the meaning of life is love. Like everything revolves around love. Like Jesus was asked, okay, what is the greatest commandment? And he says to love God and love others. And it's like when we actually sit with that long enough, there's almost an indistinguishable quality. It's like when we love our neighbors, we actually are showing our love to God. That is actually how how we can demonstrate our love of God is by how we love other people. So we show our love of God by loving our neighbor. And if we keep that thought further, we can actually receive the love that God has for us through how our neighbors love us. And I think that's maybe an unsaid challenge from Paul. He was like, okay, you Ephesian church, you're not really known for unity. You're actually known for like, you're being people who are like hard to let the outsider in. It's like, I want you to be known by your love. I want to be known by the expansive love that Christ has shown you. Yeah, I want, to show, I want you to show that love to other people. I want you to invite the other in and actually show them that kind of love. Because it's actually in doing so, you are showing love to me. You're actually receiving my love well by loving those around you. Where it's everything comes back to love. And I think that's the, like, Paul, I think, was challenging them. And I think he also challenges us. It's like, are we going to be known for our love? Because it's like in this space where it's actually Christ within us that motivates us. And it's almost like Christ in our being loving our neighbor. Like that is the vision for Paul. Well, everything comes back and comes out of the love of Christ. See, I think this is the goal of the Christian walk. Like the goal, if you were asked like why, like what is the point of us becoming a disciple of Jesus? Or if it's like, if we looked at Jesus, like Jesus uses the word telos, where it's like what makes a disciple of Jesus complete? So when we become a person of love through a relationship with Christ. Like, it's like, that's it. That's the whole point. And it's through this, that, through the power of love that we experience through the cross of Christ. And it's like, when we experience that love of Christ, and he's reminding us, like, over and over again, like, it's like, just, like, reminding you, here, you, like, this is who I said you are. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to keep reminding you over and over again, because I just want you to get it. 
Like, it's like, that's what, like, this theme just keeps on hammering in. Like, that's why Paul is just going off. He's like, I want you to get this. God loves you. Because it's like, once you get this, then you actually become a person that looks like him. Like, that's why this is so crucial. And it's like, once we actually have our identity grounded in him, then we become people who are actually confident of our identity. We actually can live the way that God calls us to live. There's this guy that I know who has a son. He's just starting to get to the age where he's a little bit nuts. Like he's like a little bit crazy, a little bit wild. And he loves jumping off high places. Like he'll just send it. Like little guy just sends it just because he knows he has such a confidence that his father will catch him. Like it's like the guy who's like kind of pushes the limits and then he just sends it like without any warning. It's like, okay, great. Like, but the father, like every time ninja level grabs him every single time. So like this kid just has such a confident trust in his father. And I think there's something there that's similar to our life with Jesus. It's like, okay, when we actually have such a confident trust in God's love for us, we can actually take the audacious step, the risk of faith and actually stepping out because we know he's got us. We know he has power to actually set us free from this thing. We know he has a power to actually step, we can step out in prayer in this thing because we have such a confidence in him. See, it's this love of Jesus on the cross that makes available the spirit of God to change us and to empower us to actually become people of love. And in conclusion, Paul concludes this letter in a moment of praise and worship. It's actually, it's kind of interesting because it's like before the prayer, Paul gets on his knees and worships. And then after the prayer, he gets back on his knees and worships. Like it's like he can't help but worship. It's almost as if prayer and worship for Paul reminds him of whose he is. Like it's like it's, that's what the, those things do, that prayer and worship just remind him. And it's in this that he says, to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Like the first thing right off the top is like, okay, we need to get our eyes back on him. Like he just keeps on hammering at home. Get your eyes on Jesus. Like it's like, if, if you get that figured out, like then everything else will be fine. It's like, get your eyes on him. It's like, can't help it. It's like, okay, I need to worship this God. Like it's like, okay, spiritual disciplines, is, like I need to push those aside and just worship him. Like that's like, that's the focus. All my eyes need to be on Jesus. Then it's in that space where he says, to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Like as one, one translator translates it as, to outdo super abundantly all that we ask or think. Like it's like anything that could come to mind. It's like once we're actually rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, then we can actually step out into like an audacious type of like, I'm going to pray to God and just step out boldly because I'm so grounded in his love. I can actually be like, okay, I trust God loves me. I'm going to ask for anything and everything. Or it's like, I think at some level we twist the sayings of Jesus about prayer to make him say something that's a little bit more dumbed down, a little bit less powerful than what he meant to say or what he actually said. Like we read him at face value with no nuance. Like Jesus says some really bold things. He's like, ask him my name and it'll be done. Okay, what if we just didn't strip it aside and it's like, okay, but like if this happens or like only if you do it in this way, it's like, no, just ask him. He loves us. He's building his identity in us. He's actually grounding us and changing our hearts so that we can ask properly. Like, do it in faith. Step out in faith. Like, I want to encourage you guys to actually read all the sayings of Jesus on prayer this week because he, there's, they're really bold. 
Like he invites us into a very audacious way of asking God for things. Because I think there's something there. Like that can only happen in the power of love when we're actually rooted and grounded in the love that Christ has for us. Because when we're in that space, we will ask the Father for anything and everything and expect him to move. Like there'll be that expectation where it's like, okay, I know, I know that my God responds, so I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm kind of expecting for you to move in this way because I'm, I know you're so good. I know you're actually, you're thinking ahead of me. You're gonna outdo above what I can think, above what I can ask you for. Like I think the invitation from Paul is like, okay, we need to pray that the spirit of God would actually do crazy things here. And it's like when we're actually grounded in the love of Christ, we can pray that bold prayer. I think my question for you tonight is like, what is that prayer for you? Like it's like, is it that we need freedom from that sin pattern that we keep on coming back to over and over again, or freedom from that addiction, or healing in that relationship, or just a setting free from like this thing that feels like we've trapped us, like maybe it's anxiety or worry or gossip or how we talk about other people. Or it's like, honestly, I just need to confess, like I haven't been like showing Christ's love to that person. Like it's like, maybe we're needing that to change. Or maybe we're just, we're, ne- we're actually, we're like, okay, I need God to give me a direction. It's like, yes, I'm grounded in the love of Christ. It's like, almost we need to, we need to ask and expect that there's like power of God, that he wants to empower you. He wants to empower you to actually live a type of life that looks like him, to call you to a destiny that like he would, you wouldn't be able to do unless you were empowered by him. Maybe that's actually the invitation of God tonight. It's like, okay, we need to actually pray and expect God to use us. God to want to use us. And I think maybe above all, an invitation from Paul is to pray that we'd actually come to know the love of Christ. Like that's it for, like no one in here escapes that one. Like we all need to know the love of Christ more. Where I think sometimes we ask, it's like, okay, like how do you pray? Like that's, a, that's the classic one. It's like, how should I pray? I don't know how. It's like maybe this week we just actually, we take Paul and use Paul as a template. It's like, okay, first I'm going to pray for my identity. I'm going to pray that my identity would be grounded in Christ. God, I pray that you would actually change my motivations within me so that they'd start looking like yours. Then God, I pray that I would start knowing the love that you have for me, that your identity of being your son and daughter, that that would actually sink down from my head to my heart. And that it's out of that place that you would actually change me over time to become a person that looks a whole lot like you. Become Become a person that like embodies God here and now to our neighbors. And then it's out of that place where it's almost like, okay, now we actually have the faith to be able to step out. Like what if we'd be actually, we were actually people who are transformed by the power of love? What if we actually sat with the power that love has, the power that the love of God has for each and every one of us? We actually ask the spirit to help us to comprehend it. And it's like, you're a loved son. You're a loved daughter. Now go out and do amazing things. Let's pray.